the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Blickety, blickety black. Guess who's back? Rob Black. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. I'm Slim Shane. The Black. Mr. Black. 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 The Black. Green monster. If nobody wants to. Um, two trailer park girls go around the outside, around the outside, around the outside. Remember when you first heard that and how catchy that was? And now Marshall Mathers is coming out with yet another album. Um, the more things change, the less they change, right? So anyway, the more things change, the less they change is an argument that I get into on a regular basis tied towards rent versus owning. Real estate is something that gets people into a tizzy. Because a lot of people believe in the Civil War. Up north, we got the stock investors. Down south, we got the real estate investors. And it's a Civil War. Nobody wins. We both lose. The reality is we're better together than we are apart. Investors need realtors. Realtors need investors. Stock market needs wage increases so that people go out and spend their money. People who own homes need uh, wage increases. When I bought my home not that long ago, I'm not going to say it was a reasonable price. It was wildly overpriced. I could have bought three homes in other, four homes in other areas. But it's gone up so much, I could buy eight homes in other areas. And my wages have gone up, sure, but not that much. For the, someone to buy my home, they'd have to have a much greater income exponentially than I had. And that's worrisome because a lot of what's happening now is people aren't buying homes based on their incomes going up. People are buying homes based on the idea of I can turn it into a rental property. So we get back to the whole Radney Foster, nobody wins, we both lose argument, not in divorce, but in, in, you know, renting is a bit of a problem. We've got, you know, people who could barely afford to rent. I've seen the rental market in high end markets go from, yes, one person can afford a $2,000 space to now it's five people in a $4,000 space and it's the same amount of space and it's the same amount of parking spaces and it's creating some urban congestion. That's why you're seeing a lot of peer to peer companies um, 
you know, whether it be Uber or Lyft or anyone else who's kind of trying to solve some of the urban problems that have created from high rents. So talking to rent versus owning, Tony Mendez from com is here. You and I both own some rentals where I think you'd have to pry from my cold, dead fingers. The idea of, I like someone else paying my mortgage. But at the same time, I kind of like the fact that I own some stocks that have done very well and some investments that have done better than my real estate. And I'm kind of worried that my real estate looks pricey. And at the same time, I'm kind of worried that my stocks look a little pricey because they've done so well. Um, so let's talk about renting versus owning. What's your initial thought to my opening salvo? Uh, it's it's pretty logical, I would say. Uh, I think a lot of people think the same way, that uh, they, they want to get into real estate one way or the other, and they don't like renting. They don't like giving money to somebody else who owns the house. Um, and we see the numbers. Homeownership rates are down to... Uh, rates that we saw back in in the 90s uh, were down to what 61%, 62% homeownership rate, and that was up to 68, 69%. So, yeah. um, a lot of people look at that and they go, "Where are all these houses going? They're going to renters' hands." There were huge conglomerates that were buying thousands of houses at a time and that turned right into rentals. Um, there are some neighborhoods that are majority. Shoot, we we just did a transaction where 40. I'm sorry, 50. Nine percent of the properties in this condo complex, and there were 288 were rentals, um, and that means there's there's renters really stepped up. I'm sorry, landlords, investors really stepped up and bought a lot of properties over many many years, and and for them they looked at a low market, they looked at rents increasing, and they you know they they may have said stocks weren't working for me, and they put they dumped it into real estate, and now is it too late? No. Um, uh, you you you're going to have to have that mindset, like you talked about. How when you bought your house, you could have bought four other properties somewhere else. Uh, the same thing equates here. If you have a down payment that doesn't quite work, maybe it's five percent or seven percent, even ten percent, and you can't afford the payments or you can't afford the house. Price is too high. There's other opportunities elsewhere, and a lot of people are ex- experiencing this and watching the trends. Uh, there's quite a few reports about people the the online searches of of homes that are leaving the bay area the truth is that no one's right one doesn't trump the other it's how much risk do you want to take with one how much reward do you want to get with the other how much risk do you want to take with that and i saw someone recently talk about how he's been renting his house for a year he sold his home a year ago he walked into the kitchen recently and saw little air bubbles on the floor he walked into a far corner of the basement and saw water dripping down the ceiling of his rental He looked closer. There was mold. Mold people came out to inspect. They gave a quote to the landlord. Mold people started to work on it and found even more mold. Uh, Those bubbles were under the floor were mold. Uh, Cost to fix the mold now doubled. Clean up and restoration. To get the mold up, they had to rip up the kitchen floor. To get the kitchen floor up, they had to rip up the cabinets. To get the cabinets back and rebuilt, they had a cabinet person come in to be hired. To get the floor fixed and a floor person needed to be hired. Then on top of it, the AC overheated and that hit the landlord as well. Now, the culprit of this all was a small little leak in a dishwasher hose. A small little leak in a dishwasher mm-hmm. hose. And there ain't no getting over that one. You ain't going to find it. That's a tough fight, too, with your insurance company. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of people think insurance is going to cover the whole cost of the shebang. Good luck with that. Um, so a lot of people feel like they're throwing away money with rental. But in this situation, the guy was happy he was a renter because it wasn't his house who had to have the floors and the kitchen and the cabinets and the basement and the mold and the you know, evacuation of the tenants for a few days and bring them back. And then they're bitter and upset. They had to be evacuated. 
Um, so selling a home sometimes and renting isn't a horrible thing because you do get the comfort of it's someone else's problem. Like I think, you know, a couple renters, um, who, you know, they, they're in rent control. That's a pretty good situation to have. They're in the situation where, you especially know, when something like that happens and you're the landlord's limited on how much they can pass along that cost to the renters, which, you know, and, and that's really what rent control is all about. It's, is the ability for that landlord to continue passing on a nominal amount of costs to the bar or increase in costs to that renter. But in that case right there, if, if you have the right insurance, you might have a good claim. Uh, and, and that's really what it is. It's getting a rental isn't just a cash flow machine. It is also a liability. Right. Um, not only a liability with, uh, you know, a repair or something like that, but um, if you have the wrong insurance, for example, uh, maybe somebody gets hurt on your property. Maybe it's a guest of the tenant. Um, maybe the tenant's, you know, smoking and catches the whole place on fire and you have two or three other places. I, it, it, it just can snowball in some cases. So I have a rental that is way out of state that I can't really babysit at. I can't really go and fix it up. And I think I was making about $300 a month cash flow profit. So I was making, okay, I was like, okay, that's about $4,000 a year. That's not bad. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. And then a tenant moves out. <laughs> and you spend and that four grand. I spend that four grand yep. on painting, on carpets. Mm-hmm. And oh, the place needs power washed. And oh, the trees overgrown, the bushes are overgrown. And they're mm-hmm. starting to get the roots into the um, foundation of the house. Where if I lived there, I'd be like, let's chop this baby down. And I'd see the problems coming. I'd see the you know, the, the door having splinters. And I'd be like, okay, it's time to paint that and sand that down. But when you're not there, you don't necessarily see it. Yeah. That's sweat equity. You don't really get it. Absolutely. It's Tony Mendez with Bayer Loan Source. We're talking renting versus homeowning. We'll talk some other um, uh, real estate ideas. If you have questions, call us 800-516-1220. If you need a mortgage, he's the guy that's doing my mortgage. He's going to do a mortgage for me this year. Um, he's done mortgage for me last year. He did a mortgage for me a couple years before that and about eight years before that as well. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. We're making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing in more. It's been a spectacular time and a great ride on Wall Street. We haven't had a correction in years. And when we have had pullbacks, they've never really turned into hardcore corrections where people get scared. More firms are buying each other. The last time we had a major correction, we had a lot of IPOs. So there was a lot of stocks out there that people had a lot of choices to put their money into. More and more people are saving for their retirement now. You're seeing more insurance plans get in the stock market, more pension plans get in the stock market. You're seeing more people get in the stock market. It's a crowded trade. 
it's worrisome because uh, you know maybe the new the new normal is ten percent higher in valuations. Maybe we're used to fifteen PE is kind of in the middle, and now we're looking at seventeen or eighteen is kind of in the middle, and twenty three is extended. If that's the case, well, we got some upside. With that said, I I'm not selling my stocks right now. It's um it's not my time. Um, being long Bitcoin is the most crowded trade in the world, according to a fund manager uh, survey conducted by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. The cryptocurrency has exploded higher in recent weeks as a handful of exchanges have started transacting and offering an increased level of legitimacy. So many traders are rushing to get Bitcoin exposure right now. It, it's, it's not surprising that it's astronomical. The downside on Bitcoin is probably gold. What used to be an alternative is now just people aren't like, meh, meh. It doesn't mean that it's going lower, but it doesn't get talked about. It's understandable if reading the news today kind of makes you nervous, whether it's, you know, terrorism or nuclear war potential or strikes or, uh, you know, train derailments, uh, whether it's another mass shooting here or there. It's, it's pretty stressful. And a lot of people, when they get nervous they on the stock market or on the world economies, they say precious metals, gold. So no matter how you slice it, dice it, or you know cut it, the trends in gold, silver, and platinum are on the downside. Um, I'm not a fan of gold. Gold has always been explained to me as its purpose is twofold uh, for jewelry and essentially for a hedge, a worst-case scenario. I'm too young to believe in a worst-case scenario. Gold is indeed up about 12% from its lowest set a year ago, but it's far from being in a bull market. Um, way off its all-time high, and you know, sometimes we'll get a little excited by it um, as a play on inflation. You know, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. A barrel of oil is a barrel of oil, and when the dollar gets weaker, you can get you know more of them, so to speak. It's just not me. So, now, I told you I'm not Bitcoin, I'm not gold. I want to avoid potential mistakes there. I think making mistakes or missing mistakes is key and critical. Set yourself up for financial success in your 30s and 40s by avoiding common money mistakes. The sooner you stop making mistakes in your 20s, you don't have to hit a home run. You just have to lay a good foundation. It's like a house, right? Um, even if you don't have money to your name, it's important to think about your finances. Uh, in your 20s, let's start slowly, slowly paying down um, your credit card debt. No, no. Credit card debt as fast as you can. Student debt as, 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 as makes sense. I didn't pay off all my student debt till I was in my 30s, and I'm okay with that. Um, thinking about it, maybe I, I did it wrong, but see... I still had some fun. I still had some entertainment. I did start investing. My student debt was was low cost. You should give up cash funds for you know. You should set up a cash fund for emergencies. And you know, again, look at credit card debt is very, very, very um, bad. So in your twenties, I remember having a car, and it wasn't the most reliable automobile. Um, and it was going to die. I knew it was going to die. And, you know, I was like, just, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'll see a mechanic now and see, see if I, how long do I have? 
On expenses are what gets you into a lot of trouble. More than half Americans don't have any savings for an emergency. And, you know, you start by, you know, covering your rent, your utilities, your phone, uh, things that you, you think you have to have. And then you set up a little bit, like maybe $10, maybe $50 a month where you're putting it into an emergency fund that you never use it. It's not for TV. It's not for vacation. So in your 20s, get to health insurance. Um, you never know if something serious is going to come along. You know, if you go to the emergency room now, it's going to cost you $20,000. It, it's, you know, if it's serious, it's going to cost you 50000 So in this day and age of looking at people walking with their phones in their hands, it's not a surprise to me that, or, you know, they're driving with their phones in their hands. So get health insurance. People are going to get into accidents. Um, I once got hit by, rear-ended by a woman who spoke no English and had no insurance. It wasn't serious, but it was probably five miles per hour away from being serious. Um, I remember in my 20s, there was a lot of theft going on. You know, whether it be college or the people that you live with uh, and their friends would come over, get renter's insurance. Renter's insurance will help you replace items that are stolen or damaged. Um, if you have anything that's, you know, uh, worthwhile. So if something you own is stolen from your car or your luggage is stolen while you're traveling, your losses are covered. If your apartment is so damaged that it's uninhabitable during repairs, your insurance policy will pay for temporary living conditions. Renter's insurance is cheap. $300 a year will get you $30,000 of coverage. So in your 20s, a mistake that you don't want to make because you want to be successful in your 30s and your 40s is credit card debt. You know, you got to take it seriously. Um, I've got a friend who, you know, told me recently she's got $2,500 in credit card debt. And I'm like, what? Um, you know me. And like, that's a no, 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 no. So get a second job. Work overtime. Live at home. Get a roommate. Knock that credit card debt out. I think when you have extra money around, you can pay off student loan debt. But, you know, interest on your student loan, if it's above 4% and you've already paid off your higher interest rate debt, and start paying off your student loans more aggressively. Um, in my idea, get a credit card and start using it. A no-fee credit card. Start building your credit. Check on your credit at annualcreditreport.com. Pay it off every month. Having great credit later in life is going to help you with expensive purchases like a home and or car. Um, start saving for retirement. If your company offers a 401k or 403b, you don't have to do 10%, 15%. If they give you 3% match, do 3% start, and next year go up to 4%. And by gosh, you know, don't, don't look at your neighbors. You know, your friend may have a BMW. You can get by with something a lot less uh, expensive and a lot more reliable. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Stock talking it up. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Check out seminars there and use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Questions are always welcome. 
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Little Killers bringing us back. I saw them in concert last week. Probably my favorite band, and I have a quote-unquote favorite band. It's a little limiting. But joining me now is Patrick O'Hare, and he's the man. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. Do you have a favorite band? I don't, but uh, I guess, you know, I may be old school and just say uh, U2. <laughs> it's a safe okay. choice, but always like what they put out, and but happen to be a, a big country fan, too, so I kind of like all sorts of singers in that genre. Good to know. Um, I know you're a stock market fan. I know we've been talking stocks for years and years now. Um, I like your angles. I like. I'm not going to call it simplicity. I like the digestible way you look at the market. Um, you do page one, and you do the big picture for briefing.com. It's a great resource for domestic and international news. Um, I've been using it for it's 20 years now. If it's not 19, it's it's 20. Um, or it's not 20, it's 19. Anyhow, um, the markets, record highs. I saw a question. Should I buy into the record highs or sell? And instantly, I think risk versus reward. What are your thoughts on where we are in the markets right now? Well, I think that that, that's right. It is risk versus reward. And, you know, this, this question always surfaces when you get a market hitting new highs, you know, whether, you know, you had a nice run, the S&P 500 hits 2,000 and everyone's asking that same question, and then it hits 2,200 and everyone asks the same question, and 2,400. So the point is, is that you do have to have a good understanding of your risk tolerance, and um, and you also have to have a, a, a good awareness, I think, of your time horizon and, and where we sit, basically, in terms of, of valuation. I mean, we're sitting relatively, well, on an absolute basis, we're at a high level right now. The S&P 500 trades at close to a 30% premium to its 10-year average uh, P.E. multiple. Uh, and that uh, theoretically would suggest that your returns will likely be lower um, over a longer-term period of time since you're getting in at a higher valuation. But, of course, on a relative basis, it's not so terrible when you take into account that interest rates are so low. So from a risk-reward perspective, you have to assess uh, and understand, I think, where interest rates are headed because that will uh, ultimately dictate, uh, help dictate stock market returns. And the higher interest rates go, uh, the lower those returns are likely to be and could ultimately be negative if you get a real spike in interest rates here. And you just have to understand whether you're capable of writing out a you know one year two year cycle where you have higher rates uh, negatively impacting stock market returns or perhaps even longer, uh, but it ultimately is going to boil down to one's individual uh, risk assessment and time horizon. So big story today is the markets um, have had a great year. We're moving into the holiday push at this point in time. I would say we've got technically about three days left until everyone's checked out, eating turkey, getting fat, eating ham, spending time with their family. The week after kind of leads into the new year. Uh, Santa Claus rally because all the professional traders will take uh, 10 days off or no Santa Claus rally? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question to answer because we've, we certainly have had such a huge run uh, already, you know, leading up to the so-called Santa Claus period, which, which covers the last five trading days of a year and the first two trading days of a new year. So, uh, 
given the way that the market has behaved this year, you, know, you would be inclined to think that the market is going to just maintain that bullish bias <laughs> into year end. But we've we've had this nice run here of late, uh, predicated in large part on tax reform optimism. And now that that uh, finish line is in sight, so to speak, uh, where we might actually get you know uh, the bill passed this week and signed into law this week, you know you could see the market take a breather as we move into year end, but, um, you know, but banking on that type of perspective hasn't worked at all this year. You know, every time you think that the market is going to correct or pull back to a meaningful degree, uh, you know, happens for a few days and then it's just right back, you know, takes right off again. So, you know, this, this last, this year end period is going to be a little bit finicky, I think. Uh, you'll get some speculative moves in certain areas as you always do. Um, but, uh, you know, I try not to really boil it down to such a, uh, you know, a finite period of time here and, and kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, understand your risk tolerances and your time horizon and, and also understand if you're going to be playing for short-term speculative gains in that last seven days of the year, uh, you know, you can expect to get, you know, whipsawed in some respects, but you have to uh, pick and choose your spots and and, uh, and move in accordance with your risk tolerances. So yesterday we had five big acquisitions, Hershey with Skinny Pop, Campbell with Snyder's, Oracle with Connix Gaming Company, uh, Penn National buying Pinnacle Entertainment. Today we see another one. There was a, someone on CNBC or Bloomberg said yesterday, there's fewer companies now than there were in 2000, because 2000 had so many IPOs in that period of time. So don't really look for a correction because so many dollars are going after 401k, pensions, investments. A lot of people have a lot more long-term plays. Do you buy into that argument that we may not correct and that we may melt up because there's no other place to put your money? Well, you know, supply was certainly a factor in the collapse of the dot-com you know, bubble. Uh, because you had so many companies coming public at that point in time, and and all of that supply, you know, coming onto the market, it ultimately imploded. Uh, and you're not seeing the IPO, you know, pipeline just you know running flush these days. Even though you have a stock market at record highs, I think you have companies that are are uh, taking a prudent step of of really getting their businesses and their business models uh, set for long-term performance and are not rushing to the public market necessarily to raise capital. And uh, and that has been a supportive factor here because you don't, you don't only have this, you know, the limited supply in terms of IPOs, uh, you also have companies that have been you know uh, buying back their stocks uh, in significant fashion and have the potential or certainly the motivation to do so again in 2018 with the uh, with given what we know about the, the tax bill right now. So, you know, I think that's going to continue, uh, you know, in the year ahead, and that can ultimately be a underlying supportive factor here for the equity market that helps limit the, uh, the pullbacks that will come in inevitably. So taking a look at your page one today and, you know, kind of uh, thinking about it, uh, we saw housing starts and building permits uh, report for November was stronger than expected. I live in California, and we've seen thousands of homes burn down this year. That's a pretty good industry to be in in construction because you're always going to have it, and we need more housing. People come to the country. Uh, talk a little bit about the importance because I know you know the engines of the economy, auto, uh, you know the, the cars buying and selling, um, clearly 
housing and construction is a big part as well. Well, it is. And, you know, in this case, uh, the housing starts includes building permits data as well. And, and you know, that's a leading indicator of economic activity. And, and while, you know, permits overall, you know, declined slightly, um, uh, it, it, what, what was positive about the um, about the housing starts report today, though, is that you saw single-family starts uh, leading the way uh, in terms of in terms of the growth we saw there, and that's and that's important really because you know we we're seeing supply constraints in the housing market, and those supply constraints are driving up prices, and they and and it prevents home sales from being even stronger. So the more supply you can bring on, you know, ideally you see a little bit of relief in terms of pricing, uh, and you do get some continued growth, and you get the multiplier effect kicking in from job creation to uh, discretionary purchases of related housing items and, and so on and so forth. And so housing is a very important component uh, of, of the economy uh, because of that multiplier effect. And uh, in terms of starts, they you know they haven't really been accelerating. Um, you've seen it just a slow, steady grind higher, which is okay. Uh, but we obviously need more starts there to help uh, relieve some of the supply constraints that are holding back the housing market to a certain extent. And so, so it was encouraging though to see in November that single-family starts. I think we're up about five percent, and that was the you know the main driver of things here um, uh, in the latest month of reporting. So 2018 is going to be um, an election year, mid, mid-elections, uh, midterm elections. Is that something that can derail the market, or what valuations derail the market, uh, do, or will it be something that we totally don't see, like oil spiking higher, or something like a, a war in the Middle East? Well, I would, you know, I, would, I guess I'd answer it this way: the things that we know uh, that could that would spoil the market, the bull market, and I think interest rates are, are number one on the list, right? If you get a spike in interest rates, uh, you're going to see multiple compression, and you're going to see um, uh, probably some, some you know, repayment constraints on the part of over-leveraged consumers and or things of that nature that ultimately drives uh, economic activity lower. So that's something that we, you know, we know that would be a spoiler. Uh, but to your broader point, I think it, you know you always have that exogenous risk factor that's out there, and and it can create some short-term dislocations, uh, certainly that are material. Uh, but you have to understand what the exogenous risk factor is when it hits to ultimately determine whether it's something that's going to be longer-lasting and and a real spoiler of the bull market. So, and and that will relate to whether it has a true negative economic and earnings impact. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all your work in 2017. You do great work. Briefing.com does great work. I highly recommend everyone starting their day with page one and with um, taking a look at the markets. I really wildly appreciate it. Uh, people can find out more at briefing.com. It's briefing.com. Talk to you in 2018, Mr. O'Hare. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. What is this? Stop talking with Rob Black. Black. Do it! Speak a word, it might have been.
guys are hipsters, right? The Lumineers? I think if you take a look at the video, they're pretty much so hipsters. They're wearing the LA hats and they got the little beards and the suspenders. Well dressed, fashionable. Um, I don't know how you describe hipster or define it. And I don't know what we had in the 20s, 2000s. I can tell you that in the 1990s we had grunge, and in the 1980s we had like fads like Valley Girl, um, Vans. The 70s speak for themselves. It's all worth noting, right? Same thing happens with the stock market. Sometimes there becomes incredible fads. In the end, you have to pay attention to earnings. You have to pay attention to earnings. But one of the fads I want to talk about, I'm going to call it more of a trend. It's digital disruption. We probably all started learning about it, whether we want it to or not, uh, with Napster and stealing of music. And the music industry changed. We were, went from buying CDs to downloading illegal music. And we, we often would make you know, uh, jumps of logic in our head and say, well, if it's a good song, I'll buy the album. And the music industry caved. And you know, there was a trend where you know, uh, the more affluent who had faster internet connections stopped buying the more affluent music. And the less affluent in society who didn't have fast internet connections, they still supported rap. And rap thrived for a period of time. Now, digital disruption changed the music industry and pl- changed the music powers. The record companies weren't going to take chances anymore. They want a marketable star, but they also want to own that star's product. They want to own the tour. They want to own as much as they can. Now, digital disruption, merchants, consumers, companies that help move money between people is the new disruptor. It's money to me. It's, you know, what Napster started, Amazon, you know, was a digital disruptor changing the the bookstore, right? And then, you know, people started downloading movies and that changed the movie industry. And then Netflix came in and said, you know, let's not download movies illegally. We'll let you do them on DVD through the mail. And we don't actually have a store. We have a digital distribution network. So, It's been going on in our lives for quite a while. And you have to see it, you know, in some areas it's really slow. Like some people don't want their their health file on digital. I do. I've moved, you know, at least 20 times in my life. Not for a long while, but... So I've got different x-rays and scans and medical reports with different doctors all around the world. I hope I never need that information. So the one that I want to pay attention to now is an ecosystem that was slow to, to accept it, but now it has to. And, you know, banks, card networks, and processors, it's digital money and the opportunities of, of shuffling money around. There's service providers, there's gateways, there's issuers, there's card networks, there's acquirers and processors. And the one that you probably know the most are the companies that issue credit cards, right? The American Express, the Barclays, the Capital Ones, the Citibanks, the HSBs, the U.S. Banks, the USAAs, TD Ameritrade, um, Discover, Chase, Bank of America. And then there's the card networks like Visa, um, Pulse, uh, Maestro, MasterCard, 
Uh, it depends on, you know, Discover, American Express. And then th- there's some that you don't know anything about, like the gateways. Uh, Blue Snap, Card Connect, Braintree, PaySafe, Stripe, Square, WePay, PayPal. Hmm, PayPal. That's one that, and you're like, who were those other ones? Say it slower. Uh, for consumers, the digital revolution is providing a lot more choice, and it makes your life easier. Digital wallets are simplifying purchases, allowing users to pay online with just a username and password. I can go into Home Depot without my wallet and use my PayPal account. Easy pleasy. I can forget my wallet and have my phone and pull out my Apple Pay. Digital growth is accelerating in finances. The digital payment ecosystem, its growth drivers, uh, is a trend that you should pay attention to because it's early in the investment. Now, later on, it'll become very commoditized, and a lot of the money will leave. A lot of the profits will leave. To understand, the winner will take all. Not really, but kind of. So here's some of the trends that you should take a look at or think about. Digital growth is accelerating. The pace at which payments are becoming faster and more convenient, and that benefits nimble startups and legacy providers. Mobile payments are continuing to take off. Um, on mobile devices, e-commerce, peer-to-peer payments, remittances, in-store payments. And that's expected to continue to rise as customer engagement shifts to more established channels. Um, I'm pretty good with that. I'm pretty good with that. So if you use Venmo or PayPal, Apple Pay is out now. Apple Pay will be very slow to... And Apple Pay, excuse me... You've used Apple Pay before with credit cards on your phone. You scan the credit card, and then you'll get a text typically from your bank if you have an online relationship with your bank, and they'll say, do you want this to be added to this machine? And it's like, yeah. Um, I'm all about that kind of security. I think having a plastic card in your wallet is the craziest thing in the world. Um, Having a phone that unlocks with your fingerprint or your, your face scan, and then Apple Pay's in there, and you get a text every time someone uses it, is power. It's awesome. Speaking of alternative, uh, speaking of power, power shifting to companies that control the customer experience as the selling power of physical storefronts add shifts to you know, digital devices. The companies that control the apps and platforms that occupy your attention are increasingly encroaching on payment providers' territory. So alternative technologies are out there right now moving the idea from, you know, uh, moving the idea forward to reality kind of thing. So there's widespread investment in blockchain technology last year that's getting the results that you know people feel very comfortable with. Digital payments. It's quite an ecosystem out there now. So I'm Rob Black, talking stock, talking more. Find a seminar at Rob Black Show and use the code radio25 to get in for free. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.